0: And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we are born? Parthians, Medes. Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "'Whatever could this mean?' Others mocked and said, "'They're full of new wine.'" But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood." Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David also says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make no, make full joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that, all the fr- that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And so Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You shall receive then the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, Saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Even selling their possessions and goods and dividing them among all as anyone had need. And so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. O Holy Spirit, Would you come? Would you come, O flame of love? Or would you come, O flame from heaven? Come and fill us. Come and cleanse us. Come and ignite us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus did not become a man so that we could one day go to heaven when we die. He did not live among us just so that we could one day go to heaven when we die. He did not die for us just so that one day we could go to heaven when we die. He did not rise from the dead just so that one day we could go to heaven when we die. And he did not ascend to the Father in heaven just so that one day we could go to heaven when we die. No, Jesus became a man, lived among us, died for us, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father in heaven so that he could get heaven into the human heart. He came, lived, died, rose, and ascended to the Father's right hand so that Pentecost could come. He came, lived, died, rose, and ascended to the Father's right hand in order to send the person of the Holy Spirit so that we might die to ourselves and die to sin So that we might live unto God and live unto righteousness. That's why Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit and referred to that great day of Pentecost as the promise of the Father. And the disciples were not surprised by that. They didn't say, Wait a minute, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's more to come? Because the promise of the prophets was not just that a Messiah would come, but that what was broken in man would be fixed. That what was dead and empty in man, namely the heart of man, that it would be filled with the Spirit of God once the Messiah had come. Jesus came not just so that we could go to heaven. Jesus came so that heaven could make its home in us. Life in heaven after death is icing on the cake. Sure, we believe in that, but that's not where our faith is. Our faith is in Jesus who said he would not leave us as orphans, but he would come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and would make his home within our hearts. The reality of Pentecost is the cake itself. The cake is God making our hearts his very own tabernacle for his very own holy presence. The cake is God making the church his very own tabernacle for his very own holy presence. The cake is Pentecost. And the cake is cooked with fire. Cake reminds us of celebrations. We break them out on birthdays, at parties. After a delicious meal with beloved friends, we order a cake. When we just want to eat something sweet that will make us happy for a bit, perhaps we eat some cake. Cakes remind us of celebration. And truly, Pentecost is a celebration if there ever was one. In the Old Testament, it was a celebration in ancient Israel of Yahweh's faithfulness at the harvest that God had once again provided. He had once again met the needs of His people. He had once again been faithful. And Pentecost is a celebration in the life of the church of His faithfulness in fulfillment of His great promise. It's a celebration for it is the church's birthday. It is the day that the Holy Spirit gave birth to this thing we call the church. Jesus spent His last night with His disciples primarily telling them of what would happen at Pentecost. Telling them of the coming of the Holy Spirit, of His power, of His strength, that He would point them back to Jesus that he would come bringing the presence of Jesus that they would not be alone that though they would be persecuted though they would be scattered they would be one through the power of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost the disciples believed in Jesus notice that the disciples were gathered together in the upper room they believed in Jesus they had even seen the risen Jesus they had seen their Lord. They had cried out, My Lord and my God. They had felt the scars of His wounds. They trusted Him. They even obeyed Him. Meet me on the mountain in Galilee. And they were there for the ascension. Tarry in Jerusalem. And here we find in Acts 2, they are found faithful. They are found waiting. They are found tarrying in Jerusalem. Just as their Lord had instructed them. But why? Why tarry? Why wait? Jesus told them, you shall be filled with power from on high. This is what John the Baptist had prophesied just a few short years ago. And it was finally coming true. It was finally being fulfilled. John had said, I'm baptizing you with water, and that's good, but you need something more. You need something that I can't do. Something that I have no power to do. Something I'm not worthy to do. There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to even pick up and carry. And he's coming to do the work that I can't do. I can call you to repentance, but I cannot fill you with the fire of heaven. And he's coming to baptize you with the Spirit, with fire. What was missing for man? What was missing from these disciples? Here they were, they were being faithful. Here they were, they trusted in Jesus. Here they were, they were obeying Jesus, and yet they were without the fire because the Spirit of God had not yet come. They were like that great army in Ezekiel's valley of dry bones that had been put together because the Son of Man had spoken to them, come together, let your joints be restored, let your bones be put together, let you be covered in flesh. And yet there was still not yet the breath of God, still not yet the wind that the the Son of Man was going to speak to to come and to fill those Bodies with the fire and life of heaven. To be baptized with fire is what was needful. According to to John the Baptist who came baptizing with water, fire was what was needed. Baptism into the Christian faith through water is an entryway into a new way of living, a new life, a a new type of humanity. It's the front door into the house. It's a foreshadowing of the fullness of Christ's work in the heart within the church. In fact, at baptism, we anoint with oil because we know that baptism is not it. It is only the launch pad. It is only the entryway. It is only the front door. We anoint with oil in the hope that the Spirit will have His way in the lives of those who are baptized into the faith, that the Spirit would consume them and fill them, that the fire of God would fall. We are brought in so that we might be filled up. We're brought in so that we might be consumed. We're brought in so that we might be found burning with fire. Fire brings life and energy. In fact, Fire is energy. It is it's, its activity. It is change that is taking place. The Spirit comes to give life, to animate the human soul with life, love, energy, and the power of God. The Spirit comes to fulfill us, to fill us, to fulfill the promises of God and to illumine us. He comes shedding the beams of His radiant light in our dark hearts. And fire consumes. It burns up, gets rid of the sin that is within. It burns up and gets rid of the dross of our faith. Fire purifies. It makes holy the Holy Spirit comes as fire to rid us of any and all contaminants. Our God is a consuming fire. The Spirit comes to burn up our death, to burn up our disease, to burn up our poison, to burn up our paralysis. And that fire consumes. Fire dances for joy and draws the attention of those who are near if you're out in the woods and there's a campfire off in the distance you'll notice it you'll see it it might be small but you'll see it and you'll probably run toward it what's happening and that's really the, the behavior of all those who have gathered together for this great festival, this great feast of Pentecost, just 50 days after the Passover. They've gathered together people from all over the Roman world, people who speak countless languages, and that's what's confusing to them is we all speak different languages. None of us speak the same. We've come from everywhere, from Asia Minor, from North Africa, from all throughout Europe, all throughout the ancient Near East. We've gathered here and we're all hearing the gospel in our own language. What in the world is happening here? There's no way these men know our languages, and yet we hear them speaking it perfectly well. Something's happening here that makes no sense to us. The the world will come looking when the church is on fire. Not just exciting, not just fun and entertaining. No, when the church is consumed with living fire. Fire from heaven when it's filled with life in the Spirit, when it's conformed to the image of Christ, that's when the world will be brought to Jesus. That's when the world is drawn to Him. When His church is consumed. When His church is filled. When His church is illumined by the light of the fire of heaven. That's when our communities will be transformed. That's when broken lives will be put back together. That's when fractured marriages will be healed and when desperate lives will be made new when the church is filled with the fire of heaven. A church on fire is one that loves its neighbor as itself one that serves its community, one that loves even its enemies. The church on fire is the church that actually makes a difference in the world, that actually exists for the sake of others. It was the late Chuck Colson who said, Christianity is the only institution that exists not for its members, but for those who are outside of it. That's why we exist. That's why we are a people. Not because of us. Because of those who aren't us, so that they might be brought in, so that they might be drawn to Jesus. That's what accounts for God's anger with Israel in the Old Testament. Do you realize what you're doing to my name among the nations? You're to be a light to them. And you've profaned my name. They think I'm no different than their God's. That I'm self serving, that I'm self seeking, that I don't care about their poor, that I don't care about their hurting. Because you don't care. You cannot separate Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit from what is obviously and naturally happening as a result. Proclamation and evangelism were the, were the natural result of Pentecost. In fact, the tongues of fire themselves that fell, while we have red as the liturgical color for Pentecost, to remind us of the flames, to remind us of those, those flaming tongues that had fallen from heaven on the disciples. Those tongues were a reminder that Jesus came not just for us, that He came not just to get us into heaven, He came so that His kingdom might come, so that His Spirit might descend, so that our hearts might be filled with the love of heaven, so that the world might have hope, so that the world might hear the good news that there is a God in heaven who can transform the human heart. That there is a God in heaven that can fill the human heart. Why aren't we seeing people brought in? Why aren't we seeing souls saved? It's interesting that it seems that the church of God is thriving and vibrant and is growing by leaps and bounds in the most persecuted parts of the world. All throughout Africa, all throughout Asia, and even all throughout the Middle East, people are being drawn to Christ. Why aren't we seeing it? Spirit came and emptied the disciples of sin and fear, filling them with righteousness and love. Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit, the holifying Spirit, the Spirit who is holy and makes holy, He descended. The Father's promise was fulfilled, giving birth to the church. Only as the disciples were gathered together in prayer. The fire of heaven fell when the prayers of the disciples were raised heavenward. Question How's your prayer life? Better yet, how's my prayer life? When's the last time we cried out to God? Not just to meet our needs and not just to fix the messes that we've made. That too. But when's the last time we cried out to God to fix the hurts of others? When's the last time we cried out to God for our neighbors? whose cars we see every single Sunday when we're headed to church because they're parked right there and they'll be parked right there when we get home. See, prayer is not about assuming that my life is put together and it's okay and God's interested in everybody else. It's about humbly recognizing that my life isn't all put together, but God in His grace is putting it together. And my life shouldn't just be concerned about my life. My life should be concerned about others. When's the last time we were truly broken before God It's easy to see what's going on in the world. It's easy to see what's going on in our neighborhoods. It's easy to see what's going on in our communities and get frustrated about it or angry about it or think we got the answers for it and what they ought to do. And if only this were to happen and forget that the one thing that really matters is what's our prayer life like. Are we truly seeking the only one that can fix the brokenness of humanity? Are we pouring our hearts out before Him? The great Ian Bound said, Prayer moves God. Even John Wesley, founder of Methodism, said God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. But I can almost guarantee you that we all don't live in that reality. That God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. If we lived in that reality, prayer would be the first thing in our lives. it would be the one thing that really matters. It would be the thing that we do before we do anything else. And the reality is that's the one thing that the the disciples were doing when Pentecost came. Jesus told them, tarry in Jerusalem. And throughout Acts chapter 1, you find them gathered together in prayer the fire of heaven fell when the prayers of the disciples were raised heavenward how's your prayer life How's your prayer life?